0: Matthew 5 in your Bible, another day, another message, right? Sometimes we get into that rut, or certainly we can be in danger of being in a, in a rut. Um, you know, we hear a lot of things. Uh, it reminds me of over in Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about the gospel being preached unto us, but it says that the, the word preached wasn't effective because it was not mixed with faith. I mean, it can just fall on deaf ears this morning. You can check the box that you attended church or that you heard something, or, uh, you know, there's a lot of good practical wisdom in the Bible, but if you think that this is just some sort of a self-help seminar, you might go away deeply disappointed or wonder why you were even here in the first place. This, this isn't uh, a self-help seminar. This is a God-help-us <laughs> seminar, and... Uh, You might need some faith to absorb the topic that uh, we're going to try to discuss with the Lord's help this morning. Matthew chapter 5, read a verse here and then we'll we'll open in a word of prayer. Verse 43, excuse me, of Matthew chapter 5, you've heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the day that you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity to gather, to sing unto you, and to worship you uh, as a body. We pray, Lord, that you would bless uh, with our time together this morning in your word, that you'd speak to our hearts today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I like to speak for a little bit, Lord willing, on the subject of loving our enemies. Everybody wants to do more of that, don't they? Probably woke up this morning thinking, I just wish I knew how to love my enemy more. If you pay much attention to the news, it doesn't direct you in that direction in case, you know, you might have missed any of it. Uh, It's not hard to imagine this being said in our day. Love your neighbor, but... Hate your enemy, right? Psalmist said in Psalm 23, verse 5, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. What an odd thing to think about, right? Preparing a table, setting up a table for a feast right in the middle of a battle, and what God won't do in light of the enemy around us and in sight of the enemy around us. God's got something different for his people. They stand out. God provides for them in a a different way. Jesus said here, You've heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. Now, people love to twist scripture. And by twisting, they change words. We have entire Bible so-called with man's idea about what God said rather than just what God said. They like to take it out of context We like to take parts of it. Like we're doing here because what Jesus is quoting is from Leviticus 19 and verse 18 where the Bible does say, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The Holy Spirit owns his words, but Jesus here doesn't say that he's quoting just a passage of scripture. He says, you've heard it hath been said. In other words, the saying going around is Let's take what God told us in the Old Testament law and let's add to it. Let's let's append what God told us. And they were good for doing that. You remember when in uh, John chapter five, they came and took up the, the, the woman taken in adultery as the story is typically labeled in your Bible. They said, Moses in the law commanded that we should stone her, rock in hand. What do you say? And the Bible even tells us they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to, I guess, pit Moses against God. But they didn't understand that Jesus said, I'm not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. You've got the wrong idea from the get-go. When they came to him in Matthew chapter 19, Not hard to read between the lines, seeing that they were seeking easy divorce. Jesus tells them that in the beginning, God made the male and female. Man is to leave his home, cleave unto his wife. The two become one flesh. What God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. But of course, they come back. Well then, why did Moses command us in the law to write her a bill of divorcement? See, ha ha, I've got you. Jesus said, well... Because of the hardness of your heart, that was allowed. But from the beginning, it wasn't so. You think you're going to try to turn God's law in itself, make God allow something that he forbade? They were great for that. A crime against the word of God. The Holy Spirit owns thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, but he hates the parasitical growth that's been attached to it. That we should hate our enemies. Hating our enemies comes natural, though. That's what the whole world around us does. And if you've been in this very long, it's what you fight against probably on a daily basis. Remember when Jesus said, I send you forth as sheep among wolves. How many want to sign up for that assignment, right? Sheep among wolves. I don't like that. That sounds like I'm not even given a fair chance. Sheep amongst wolves just are food. (laughs) That's not a fight. That's a meal. And you see which side Jesus said, we're on. It was said of the, back in the 16th, 17th century, the Lollard preachers in England who would cry out the word of God along the, the public areas back in that day. It says they preached like lions and died like flies. That sounds kind of similar to what Jesus said. He's sending his people out for. I know everybody's getting real excited about where this is going. I can tell already. Loving our enemies. Loving our enemies. We need to love our enemies in truth. In truth, Paul said this in Galatians four sixteen. He said, "Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you?" the truth. The truth will make you some enemies. A man has enemies in this world. And if you don't have any enemies, you might wonder if you're on the Lord's side. Because the Lord told us plainly, this world is not your friend. It's your enemy. I think we heard maybe last week or the week before about this uh, unconditional conference that Andy Stanley had in uh, the Atlanta era, he pastors a megachurch down there. He's the uh, son of uh, Charles Stanley, which many of you would probably know from his years on the radio and so forth. The Unconditional Conference, built as a way to help bring understanding for God's people into the LGBTQ community and how to deal with those, those issues. There, there's a lot that I could say about that. But let me just put it this way. It is not love to lie to people. And that's what that conference was. It was a lie. Imagine that someone is addicted to drugs, alcohol. They're a serial adulterer. Do we say, well, we need to have a conference so that we can understand how to better incorporate your sin into our everyday church life? No, we don't, because we recognize it for what it is, sin, homosexuality, transgenderism. It's not loving people to lie to them. It's loving to give people the truth, the truth. Of course, we're to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15 tells us, but some people's idea of what that means to love someone is a very sugar-coated Popcorn version of love. We think love is a feeling. We think love is being nice. If I had a dollar for every time I have to put up with somebody equating Christianity with just being nice, I'd be retired. Should we be nice as Christians? Sure. But that is not what we're called to be. And if telling the truth means we're not perceived as nice in the eyes of those around us, then so be it. That is not a sacrifice that we should be making. John said, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. See, sometimes we think, well, I, you know, just loving the lost, loving lost sinners, loving the world around us just means going along and getting along. I mean, you know, if my queer or homosexual neighbors, I mean, hey, they keep their lawn mowed and they pay their taxes. Isn't that good enough? No. Nope. It's not good enough. Think of some of the big lies of our time. Homosexuality and transgenderism is normal. That's a lie. And it's being pushed en masse at us every day now. You remember the, well, being a spiritual person, that's what's really important. See, that's kind of faded into the background already. It's like we've already seeded that ground. We're on to the next battle, and we had lost the previous one. Or you could pick up just about any topic. Feminism is good for the culture and good for the church, too. Boy, we don't even think about that anymore. And I'm not going to ride any of these hobby horses. I'm saying you can almost see the progression there. It's like we lost that battle for all intents and purposes. Because some of you in this room are already wondering, what? how is he connecting all those dots? if you don't think they connect, you might need to dig in a little farther. (laughs) See, sometimes it's just that we're cowards. Traitors to our own cause, hirelings, the list goes on. We better learn how to love our enemy and stop pretending that the enemy is our friend. I'm not talking about Hating our fellow man in this world just because they're not Christians. But we better learn how to love our enemy the way the Bible has us love, and that's in truth. In truth. Yes, care about them. Yes, care for their soul, their eternal destiny. Absolutely. Let us leave no room for falsehood. Let us not give quarter to the lies that the devil is pushing. We live in a world that today overvalues empathy and undervalues sympathy. We want to feel like we've stood in everyone's shoes. We need to affirm everyone in what they're thinking or believing. But you know what? If I'm drowning out in the sea, don't jump in and drown with me. Keep your feet planted on firm ground and throw me a rope. We'll both fare much Better. You see what I'm saying? Don't empathize with my drowning. Sympathize with my drowning. And lend a hand. Go over to First Corinthians chapter five. First Corinthians five. So that sounds kind of harsh. I hear Christians even now talking about, well, I think maybe we should use these, you know, a person's preferred pronouns. Some things just, you know, I'm you know, I'm flesh and blood like you. It just makes my blood boil. Sometimes, depending on who the person is, I'll ask them, you know, did you ever play football in school? Yeah, I played football back in the day. Did when you went onto the field, did you carry the other team's water and equipment on for them? Because that's what you're doing right now. <laughs> Lie to the enemy so we can get along with them. First Corinthians. There was a problem in this church, chapter 5, verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. Paul's saying this is heinous sin. In fact, the lost world doesn't even do the kind of stuff you've got going on in here. So, naturally, Paul says we're going to have a three-day seminar to understand how we can incorporate these people more fully into the body. No, if you go down to verse 5... His advice with them, he says, is to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul's saying, no, there are spiritual, eternal matters that have consequences forever, and I'm not going to lie to these people to make them feel better or make everyone else comfortable. This person's soul is at stake and better off if their body would have given over to Satan. So that sounds kind of strong. Well, I know. But you think of church discipline. You think of uh, the story of the prodigal son in the Bible. We know that the, the son leaves and he, he wastes his inheritance. You don't think that father taught him probably repeatedly over the years, warning him where that was going to lead? But the father didn't go running after him saying, okay, 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 I changed my mind. No, he he let him go. And he learned his lesson when he got his fill of what this world really has to offer. And he came to himself, which is, I think, where Paul's going with this man being turned over to Satan. This person needs to come to themselves. They need to be able to reason clearly. But I'm not going to lie to them to get them there. Sometimes we need to love through troubles. Exodus 23 says, If thou meet thy enemy's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him again. Your enemies? You're not supposed to help him? Yeah, according to God. You know why? Because God's people don't act like the rest of the world. They don't do just what comes natural. Not if they want to please the Lord. Proverbs 25, 21, if an enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. If he be thirsty, give him water to drink. Why? Because we recognize, as Romans 12 says, that God is the avenger. It's his place, not ours. Vengeance belongs to him alone. You might remember the story in 2 Samuel where... Shimei is running along the wall. He's from the the house of Saul and he's cursing David and throwing stones at him. And one of David's mighty men, Abishai, says, why are we going to let this dead dog curse my lord, the king? And I think any of us can put ourselves in Abishai's position. This just doesn't seem right. Let me go take care of it. He says, let me go take off his head. But David says, no you just leave him alone and let God work out this situation. But that's tough to do, isn't it? It's tough to do. When the enemy's throwing stones your way, cursing you to your face, something in you wants to take care of that situation. Second Thessalonians 3, verse 13, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. It's easy to get weary in well-doing. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. We have very little shame over sin anymore. And because we make excuses for it, and because we cater to it, and because we turn a blind eye to it, because we're not loving in truth, people are not ashamed of things that they should be ashamed of. And so there's sin in the camp. And God's not pleased when there's sin in the camp. Go over to Psalm 55. Psalm 55. Sometimes it's a real tough case. Psalm 55. David said in verse 12, For it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me then I would have hid myself from him, but it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together, walked unto the house of God in company. That's some of the worst kind of enemy right there. Not an open foe, but a pretend friend. That is not the way to live your enemies, (laughs) because that, that sends truth out the door. Proverbs 27, six says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Better open confrontation for the truth than a two-faced harboring of resentment. You know, sometimes I'm convinced that's why a lot of this takes place, is because we're so concerned about protecting ourselves from some sort of feeling of guilt that we'd rather just let resentment towards others build up in the background. Better to deal with the guilt than harbor resentment. It will end badly. It will end badly. When our life is not a proper reflection of our faith, it sends the wrong message to this world around us. Some of you may have seen the uh, man, Ryan Carson. He was in the news about a month back. He was sitting on a park bench. He's a man, young man in his 20s. He and his girlfriend... They were both active uh, activists in the Antifa movement and marched for the defund the police in New York City. And a uh, young black man had walked by them and they got off the park bench and kind of started walking past in his direction. And this young man turned around and started yelling at him and eventually stabbed Ryan in the, in the chest and he died about a, a minute later. Uh, it got made rounds on social media and so forth, but. Looking at the comments, look, these people were Antifa activists. They wanted to defund the police. They're you know pro-Black Lives Matter and all of it. Certainly the fact that he was murdered by a young black man, that irony is not lost on us. But to hear Christians, at least in name, spouting off on social media about, ah, that sucker, he got what he had coming to him. That that doesn't sound like what the Lord teaches Christians in the scriptures. Jesus looked out over a city and he wept because of their wickedness. Jesus told them to love their enemies. Ezekiel 33 says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You think it would be right that his people take pleasure in the death of the wicked? It's a 20-year-old man. He was confused. He believed lies. His life was snuffed out. It's not something to revel in, not something to glory in, even though it sort of proves in some backhanded way that we were right. It's a soul that was lost who needed truth. He needed truth. When Jesus' disciples, when they went through Samaria one time and they weren't pleased with how their Lord was being treated, they asked Jesus, should we call down fire and destroy them? And Jesus said, you know not what spirit ye are of. And sometimes I don't know if we know what spirit we're of when we glory over the enemy that way. Closing thought here. Maybe this isn't making sense to you this morning. Maybe you're not even able to mix this message with faith because you've never received Christ by faith. See, the thing is that God loves his enemies, thankfully, because prior to us receiving Christ, we are God's enemy. There is enmity between us and God, and the only way you can fix that is by receiving the gift that God made in your place through his son. You can't make enough offerings, you can't turn over a new leaf, you can't get yourself good enough to have earned it. Romans 5.10 puts it this way, for if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Death is something that men fear. Men fear death, but death... Fears Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says the last enemy that shall be destroyed, destroyed, is death. And Jesus Christ, the one that's going to destroy it. And you can be relieved of that fear today by coming to Him. Beloved, we need to love our enemies, but we need to love them in truth and quit pretending that the enemy is our friend. And if you're here today, and you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't have to stay God's enemy. God reaches out nail-pierced hands to whosoever will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the time that you've given us. Thank you for this book. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to consider uh, what you've given to us this morning. I pray, Lord, for your people, that you would give them strength. Lord, help each of us to walk circumspectly In this world that you've placed us in, help us to be the light that you would have us to be, to present truth, Lord, to a world that so badly needs it. Thank you for giving it to us in the person of your son and in the pages of your book. I pray you'd have your way with the remainder of our service now in Jesus' name.